Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Deborah Benfield, a registered dietitian nutritionist as well as a certified eating disorder registered dietitian and supervisor with over 30 years of experience in the field. Deborah is the founder and owner of Body in Mind Nutrition based in North Carolina, USA. She is passionate about the prevention and treatment of disordered eating and eating disorders and supporting people in feeling at peace with food, eating and their bodies. Deborah is also a registered yoga teacher certified in curvy yoga, accessible yoga and trauma sensitive yoga and has some presence based coaching experience which she integrates into her work. Deborah has discovered the transformative power of somatic practices and yoga along with embodied intuitive eating principles. With a focus on trauma-informed care and nourishing your inner child, she offers individual and family nutritional therapy as well as group programs, workshops and retreats. When entering her 60s three years ago, Deborah started researching best practices for aging with vitality and ease. And sadly, there was precious little out there which didn't focus on striving for maintenance of a useful appearance and, of course, controlling weight. Deborah is now developing a new program for pro aging without this detrimental focus. So in this episode today, I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Deborah's journey and the fantastic work she is doing in helping people heal and to develop a healthy relationship with food, their bodies and themselves. Let's get to the conversation. This episode is brought to you by the National Centre for Eating Disorders, the NCFED. Does eating rule your life? If you struggle with control of food, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, If you want to speak in confidence to someone who fully understands your relationship with food, contact Sam at the National Centre for Eating Disorders. You will find our details online or call 0845 838 2040. We know everything there is to know about eating distress and all our practitioners are properly trained. First simple step is to have a no obligation assessment where you can speak freely in confidence to someone who understands and who will be able to tell you what is keeping you stuck. You will not need to do anything else if you simply want to think about what we have to say. If eating rules your life, take that first brave step now and get in touch. 0845 838 2040 during the week or look us up at www.eating-disorders.org.uk. Hi, Deborah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. You know that this is a topic that I am so passionate about, so I appreciate the opportunity to let some folks hear what I'm thinking. So thank you for your interest. Oh, fantastic. So, Deborah, please could you firstly introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I am a registered dietitian and I've been in the field for more than 30 years specializing in preventing and treating eating disorders. And I have recently kind of shifted a bit due to my own aging, 
when I turned 60 a few years ago and became a grandmother for the first time, things started to change in the way I was like spending my time and energy and felt a pull toward doing a lot of research around aging. And I was rather appalled <laughs> that everything mm-hmm. I was encountering was highly focused on preventing wrinkles and staying thin no matter what and all the things that I just don't feel is helpful. (laughs) Actually, I feel what's truly helpful is how we can remain vital and have plenty of energy and, you know, keeping our functionality as high as we would like it to be, keeping our mind sharp and things like that. And there are things we can do about that without focusing on the scales and our cosmetics. So that's what mm. I've been spending my time on lately and interested in sharing about that. Mm. Well, thank you, Deborah. And so it sounds like it was very much sort of your own journey, was it? Like, you know, you've been working this field anyway for 30 years, you're very experienced, but then just with your sort of turning 60, things shifting a bit, and perhaps wanting to investigate a bit yourself, you know, and for your clients, which way to go next, you then realized, did you, that just so much of what was out there was sort of focusing on aesthetics and the scales and wrinkles and, you know, not those other things that you were really talking about in terms of energy and vitality, etc. Exactly. And, you know, for the clients that I've worked with and continue to work with, This kind of focus, as my clients age, really increases a vulnerability to lapsing into, you know, chronic dieting and wellness culture that, you know, most of my clients say that they're a little terrified that they'll slip back into their old habits. So I feel like we need to provide more leadership around elderhood, finding a path through elderhood that's more liberating and less mired in, you know, the multi-billion dollar (laughs) (laughs) diet and wellness culture that's so seductive. Mm. So I feel like we need to find an alternative for so many of the women who are like entering menopause, post-menopause, 55 plus. I just don't see a a place for them to feel like there's community and like an opportunity to just let go of the same old, same old anti-aging message that kind of really opens the door to their chronic dieting and eating disorder. Mm. I hope that makes sense. Mm. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I think you just really touched on such an important point there that it is a time of life where you can be very vulnerable, isn't it? To slipping back yes. into old habits. Yes. And then if, yeah, if the resources out there are kind of pointing you in that direction, incredibly damaging and not very helpful at all. Yes, precisely. And it's somewhat like, you know, how puberty is experienced. You know, the body feels like it's got its own ideas about changing And we know what happens there. There tends to be kind of a white knuckling around like trying to control when nature has its own ideas about what our bodies are up to at that, you know, puberty time and in this postmenopausal time. So, you know, trying to allow your 
body to do what it's going to do without the ever increasing pressure to control, which I think is, you know, where diet culture and wellness culture enter. And I say wellness culture a lot because I feel Mm. like folks are clearly understanding that diets are problematic and have a vulnerability around other kinds of ways to get themselves in trouble with trying to eliminate food groups such as carbs. You know, I could go down that path for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Cleanses and detoxes and all the things that well-intended folks, you know, kind of find themselves in a mess in wellness culture. Yeah, I think wellness culture is often just like um, a wolf in sheep's clothing, isn't it, really? (laughs) Precisely, precisely. Yes, agreed. Mm. So, Deborah, like, tell us about sort of, you know, the ways that you are starting to support women, you know, in this phase and how you're approaching things differently. Well, the place that I start is helping these women, and I'm saying women because that's who I work with. Mm. I invite them to step back a bit and review like what their values are so that they can notice how diet and wellness culture is really preoccupying their time and energy. This 55 plus time is also a time that you become very clear that this is a time in your life that you have limited time and energy, limited resources. So if you discover, if you become aware of the fact that what you're truly valuing isn't aligned with all of these rigid rules and pushy expectations that can really be a waste of your time, then it's helpful to kind of make a shift toward looking at a more liberating path. And of course, at the same time, There is a reason to pay attention to choices that support brain health and gut health, which are kind of the same thing, and your own energy. So it's a tricky little fine line as it is in all of nutrition to support a person's best health and vitality and not falling prey to rigidity, right? Mm. So I start with values clarification and then lots of empowerment around what's it like to embrace becoming an elder, like not elderly. It's really interesting how people react to elderly versus elder. Elder tends to like bring some empowerment and some like, yes, that's what I want to be. And elderly conjures up, you know, this frailty and this vulnerability that I think is, it's so interesting how a word shift it can make all the difference. Mm. But women tend to feel comfortable with being an elder in their community, in their families, in their circles, and the folks that they love and care for, and also want to remain vital so that there are choices that can support their vitality. And that feels really comfortable, very empowering. Folks become very interested in letting go of all of this focus on the scales if they are able to continue to focus on functionality. Mm. So, So, you know, it's the same thing that I'm sure we're all doing with our clients with eating disorders and are trying to prevent eating disorders, trying to help them look at 
their lives outside of what their bodies look like, right? Outside mm -hmm. of trying to control everything about their bodies and just really drop into what's it like to feel the freedom of liberation from all of the cultural dictates around what aging can be like to really be pro-aging, mm. to allow yourself to not suck in your belly, like little things, <laughs> to allow yourself to focus on regulating your nervous system so that your gut and your brain can actually be it at the function that you're capable of. I mean, I feel like regulating the nervous system is just as important as movement and what we choose to nourish ourselves. So I kind of have a triangular approach. I'm a yoga teacher and really focused on somatics and I'm trauma-informed. So that's another big piece of what I do. Gosh, mm. oh, so many pieces to pick up there, I think. And I just firstly want to say, actually, just, yeah, the use of the word elder rather than elderly, it does really feel so much more empowering, doesn't it? Um, it does. It does. <laughs> Yeah, definitely what comes to my mind is just like really sort of tapping more into that kind of wisdom, empowerment, vitality. Yeah, I'm very struck by just the sort of change in the word there and just how powerful that is actually. And it's something that I wouldn't have really thought about before. So, you know, I really appreciate you kind of sharing that. Well, I want to let you know that I have been in quite the rabbit hole of reading about aging and mm -hmm. I have my favorite book stacked up beside me right now and <laughs> what I just said was gleaned from Louise Aronson's book Elderhood mm -hmm. her book is very much about navigating um, the medical arena as we age so I have several that I recommend and several that I don't it is very frustrating I am currently very frustrated by my favorite books that have been so helpful still still within even those books there's still what i consider to be very fat phobic language some much more than others there's some that i think are atrocious and some that are just kind of like oh just the same old same old just not awake to their own fat phobia and the fat phobia of the world that they travel in so i can't completely 100% say that these books are safe because they're still you know words like obesity are still used. Mm -hmm. Louise Aronson is a physician, but mm -hmm. she's, I think the book is worthwhile to just mm -hmm. look at pro-aging. Mm -hmm. If you can just kind of take her obesity comments with a grain of salt, sadly, that's the case. Mm. <sighs> yeah, yeah, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing because I can't seem to find what I'm really looking for. So I'm trying to develop programming for women that are 55 plus. Mm, yeah, and it's sure. So you're sort of like carving out, yeah, paving a new road, aren't you really? So I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> what really struck me as well from what you were saying is about our values. And I think what's so interesting is I think, you know, if you say to many people, like, you know, if you're 90 or something, and you're looking back on your life, what's going to be important to you? And, you know, people don't generally say, do they like being X amount of weight, or, right. I don't know, you know, controlling my food or something, you know, it is all about relationships and meaning and purpose and all these right. like much greater things. But 
what strikes me is we so often as human beings though we kind of get out of line don't we we've come as you know we're not aligned sometimes with our values even when we kind of sit and stop and think about what's really important still day to day we get so drawn in don't we by the scales and you know those things which right. seem so seductive so I wonder sort of about your thoughts on that really you know in terms of like you know because obviously you're really empowering people to take a step back and really think about their values why do you think we get so off track sometimes well I think I don't know how far you wanted to go into this because I could talk about this a long time. I think our culture is Mm. built on a body hierarchy. And I'm sure that you and your listeners are familiar with Sonia Renee Taylor's work. The body is not an apology. The power of radical self-love. She really does a beautiful job, big support, and highly recommend reading her book and listening to her interviews and podcasts and such, because she makes it very clear that we all walk around in this hierarchy where, you know, at the very top of the hierarchy is thin, white, male, neuronormative, able-bodied, you know, all, and young, don't let me not forget young. (laughs) And we all are wired, just normal human wiring is that we don't feel safe if we don't belong. The desire to belong Mm -hmm. is normal. So the push to remain within the social norm including looking young and perhaps being thin is understandable. I have huge understanding and empathy and compassion for the fact that we get pulled off of ourselves toward Mm. that pursuit of being within the social norm. So choosing to step away from that means kind of losing social currency You know, women sit around and talk about what they hate about their bodies and the diets that they're on for a reason. It's like bonding. So to say, yeah, that's not my bag. I'm doing other things. Mm -hmm. Leaves you perhaps alone, leaves you outside, which is vulnerable and uncomfortable. So there are many reasons why we're pulled toward following Yeah, the anti-aging rhetoric. Mm. And I get that. That's why we need to build more and more community around pro-aging. I feel that that's happening. I feel that there is, uh, with the boomers and, you know, the increase in the prevalence of folks that are 55 plus in our culture, I think there is a movement afoot. But I think we're leaving the body out. I think this body piece around wrinkles and thinness is like still being ignored. So I think that's why there's special vulnerability. And as I said before, and I know you know, the multi-billion dollar industrial complex built on this vulnerability. (laughs) And Mm. you cannot, if I don't know how much social media you ingest that, Once you start appearing as over 50, 
you're going to get more and more and more marketing ads directing you toward all of the the creams and the wellness features and the diets. So I understand this vulnerability. I think Mm -hmm. women also really feel vulnerable to the fact that they're going to lose relevance, that they're going to become more invisible. And I really hope that we can start a huge movement toward remaining very visible and very much empowered with a message. I particularly think that right now is a time that we need more elders with leadership Mm -hmm. and power. It would be a great time for all the grandmothers to rise up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And I've noticed myself actually, like, you know, there are some, you know, probably more and more people who would be in this elder category who are doing some great stuff on Instagram and, you know, sharing, yeah, aren't they? You know, the space, I mean, we need many more voices and faces. Like, yeah, but it is trickling through, isn't it? That's definitely something I've seen. It is. And as I really dig for these voices, I continue to be frustrated with the fact that a lot of these accounts are also, by the way, selling cosmetics. I just, mm, yeah. I just wish that we could let that go. And an awful lot of the images of women that I see still are conventionally within the beauty ideal still are very thin. There's a lot of thinness. So mm. it's hard to find diversity, yeah. body diversity within this aging movement, because this is what I'm saying. I feel like the body piece is being left out. Mm. And I feel like that happened with feminism too. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but it feels like remaining cute, hot. And I don't know if you're comfortable with the term fuckable, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much you may have to edit that or bleep that out. Yeah, that no, is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that, you know, is still that there's this undercurrent of like remaining relevant equals remaining all of those things, like mm. still like sexually viable somehow even though we're not I mean we are very sexual but we're not procreating it's a very interesting reality Mm. (laughs) you want to care about your appearance of course but or maybe maybe not as personal choice but to what end and how much are you willing to spend your time and energy on that that's where I am the most focused because it's clear our time is limited in this chapter and it's a very exciting chapter one of my favorite books is breaking the age code by becca levy and her research is phenomenal when it comes to making it very clear that our attitudes about aging really alter our actual aging it's Mm. you know her research is about attitude and then the fact that if your attitude is positive about aging Her research shows that you have an additional seven years added to your life. Mm. So it's really compelling, compelling research. Mm. So your attitude about how this is going to go in this chapter is highly significant. 
So to feel like you're afraid of aging or you're afraid of becoming invisible has consequences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of anxiety and fear, isn't there, when you're kind of yes. like chasing this youth. And I think you just explained it so well, actually, just how we lose track of our deeper values because of this you know underneath all the layers we want to belong as human beings don't we we want to be accepted we want to be relevant and it's very scary not to feel we're part of the tribe and diet culture just really gives you this message doesn't it and the whole kind of you know worship of youth that somehow if you keep chasing these things you're going to be in the gang you're going to be part of the tribe you're going to be relevant so that can really just pull us so off track can't it away from feeling empowered and our our really core values and the things that are really going to make us happy absolutely I mean I think the women that I talk to kind of wake up at like 60 as they're kind of like what I consider to be kind of at the threshold of elderhood realizing that, wow, I need to just stop this. Like I've been spending way too much of my life's energy, my life's resources on this pursuit. Like I'm really tired of it and it really doesn't match up with what I want. So really allowing women to see that, yep, that's okay. It's okay to step out and let yourself like embrace aging and at the same time I'm a dietitian and I want people to also feel vital I mean I want to have a sharp brain and have like energy that I need for all the things I love to do I want to feel the vitality and so of course there are things that we can do to support ourselves and there are some things that are completely out of our control too of course Mm. but Like to not make it so much about the scales, please. (laughs) (laughs) So with that nutritional component, you know, it sounds like the focus is much more on kind of energy, vitality, health, and rather than like the number on the scales. And is it more about kind of sometimes perhaps adding things in rather than restriction or taking things out in terms of how you're Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. You're not going to hear me talking about processed food, junk food, all those things. You're going to hear me talk about like making sure you're eating on a consistent schedule so that your energy doesn't wax and wane, making sure that you are giving yourself the carbohydrates that your gut needs to function well and certainly that your brain requires. I mean, this no-carb fad. (laughs) I mean, I've been a dietitian long enough that I was practicing before the carb phobia entered Mm -hmm. and I just think it's doing so much damage women really need carbohydrates we all do but this Mm -hmm. anti-carb movement is doing lots of damage our brains require carbs to function and our guts really require wonderful carbs to act as prebiotic and probiotic functions our guts function much more beautifully with carbs and you know all about how your microbiome affects your mood so there's a lot to talk about when it comes to things that you I mean stepping out of all the fear and looking more toward what supports you what when you eat lets you know that you have the vitality you're feeling the vitality that you would like to feel 
Sure. I might as well, you know, I understand you very much sort of embody intuitive eating as well to you and sort of, you know, having kind of pleasure and satisfaction and joy from food as well without it being too strict or too rigid. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. On the same page. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Sure. So tell me more about your program. Like it sounds like, you know, initially it's a lot of this kind of focus on values, taking a step back, looking at a kind of bigger picture. There's also this nutritional component and just really like adding stuff in and concentrating on vitality and energy, etc. What other kind of parts are important to include in this sort of, you know, in this program? Actually, as I said, as I just mentioned, I'm a yoga teacher and very curious about and tuned into somatic practices. I've done a lot of additional training around presence-based coaching and like being trauma-informed. And I feel strongly that it is only when we slow down and practice or kind of commit to practices that support us becoming more connected to our bodies that we can notice those moments through our day that are choice points for us, that we can like, oh, maybe I can slow down and taste this food and notice if it is serving me. Maybe I can slow down and just allow my nervous system to regulate after that interaction that was unsettling or that news piece that I just ingested that's upsetting me you know all the different ways that we can slow ourselves down so that we can become embodied and connected so that's another big piece of what I do it is kind Mm -hmm. of like a tripod of efforts around really noticing your values so some head stuff Mm -hmm. some straight up nutritional guidance and some embodiment and somatic practices. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing now. I'm creating a group coaching program that I'm launching in September. And of course, I will continue to offer individual processes between now and then. But I just feel like I am all in, as you may or may not be able to tell. <laughs> I'm very excited about this because I'm feeling so aligned with it myself and feeling like this is a place that we need leadership yeah well your passion is definitely sort of coming through and yeah you know I think I'm sure the listeners are going to be very enthused by everything you're saying and I just want to say one more thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that the other thing that I'm noticing about this aging this 55 plus group is that in my career, I have so many clients who talk about their mothers and their grandmothers. So it feels very much like this is multi-generational. And I'm curious if like there are daughters and granddaughters who want to turn their mothers and grandmothers on to this shift as well as a way to support themselves and their mm-hmm. children you know, to find a way to kind of be the change, be the place that this stops all of this, like body shame and chronic dieting and all these food rules that get us all off track. 
I'm just really curious about if there are other ages that would benefit. Mm. So it's just something I'm talking to some of my colleagues about. Mm. Well, I think you're so right because I think, you know, I know with so many of my clients, you know, they've really struggled with, like, you know, their mothers were sort of brought up in a time where, you know, maybe like the sort of 60s and with sort of Twiggy and there was right. no questioning of diet culture then. It was just right. what you did. And it was almost like right. normal, you know, when you're an adult, you go on a diet. So, you know, I think with each generation, we're getting more challenging, more questioning, aren't we, of this? But I think, yeah, I really feel actually for sort of, you know, some of the grandmothers, great grandmothers out there as well, who just, who never really had a different perspective or a different way of looking at things. It was just so indoctrinated, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Indoctrinated is a good word. <laughs> mm. I've oftentimes said it feels like, you know, there's a cult that we're trying to deprogram our brains, you know, we're trying to like find another way to like shift out of all of these rigid belief systems that are deeply entrenched. Those grooves are deeply worn generationally, passed down and passed down and passed down. So I've often thought about like, this is not just for the 55 plus, this is actually like a multi-generational, like where do we begin starting to make this shift? The grandmothers are a great place. You know, I have many clients who say, well, I'm doing great with my kids, but I just can't take them to my mother's home. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be awesome if the grandmothers would also notice how we can intuitively feed our children and help them develop their own competency around feeding themselves and trusting their own bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think it's never too late to learn, is it? I think, you know, Correct. We can, <laughs> you exactly. know we have, yeah, we have to be kind of hopeful and optimistic, really, about these things. Um, so many people say, you know, it's, well, I've given up on them, they're too old. And I just think, no, I agree with you that it's never too late. Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think so often as well, I know I've run recently a binge eating disorder group for the National Health Service in the UK. And, you know, many of the clients actually in that group were sort of actually in their sort of late 50s, early 60s. Mm -hmm. You know, they'd never had any intervention or therapy before. And, mm -hmm. you know, one might have assumed before we started that group, that actually, you know, change might be quite hard when you've been indoctrinated for so long. But I was just amazed actually by the changes that happened and how people were able to kind of question things. So I think absolutely you know change is possible at any moment isn't it it's just sometimes having that educational new perspective yes I mean it's so sad when people have never heard of another way mm. you know they just never I mean certainly within their health systems within their providers they've never heard of anything but diet 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 so you know mm. to hear that there is another way and the fact that it can really provides so much freedom and an increase in vitality as they choose to step out of the old diet rules. It's very exciting. Yeah, they're very exciting. So Deborah, could you just say a little bit more as well about the sort of embodiment piece and you know activating like the sort of self-soothing, self-caring, like getting that nervous system calmer, regulated. Because I think 
you know, this isn't something, is it, that's just unique to eating disorders, disordered eating. It's across our culture, really, that we're so kind of often in fight flight, we're striving away, we're not really kind of slowing down enough. But how do you support people to take those first baby steps when they are spinning so fast on the hamster's wheel? Well, I provide a grounding practice before I do anything. I should have done that today, actually. Like when I have a one-on-one or when I begin a group or when I begin a class, I offer a short little practice and I provide as many guided meditations as I can so that folks can become less intimidated by the concept. I think when people think meditation, mindfulness, there are such rigid boxes from our media that appear in their minds around Thin, flexible, like blissful, like your mind being completely blank. And, you know, to try to help folks realize that simply noticing what their senses are, kind of noticing smells, noticing touch for little sips, for little tiny, like micro practices. I think people can start to feel that they become more in touch with their bodies and little moments in time. And my way of introducing this is to encourage my clients to use their lives, their daily lives as a way to become mindful. For example, like when your phone dings to see if you can develop a practice of like feeling your body making contact with the surface. So perhaps feeling your seat or your feet, using that little ding as a reminder to get in your body. When you pick up your teacup or your iced water, if there's anything that has a particular temperature, allow yourself to register what's happening with touch. Perhaps more like having a candle around you that you can let your eyes rest on the flame just like just for a second or two. Of course, using beautiful essential oils in your soap, your washing dishes, or taking a shower to allow your sense of smell to kind of wake up. Any little reminders in your life that can invite you back into your body. And if that feels like too much, to perhaps remember that I think our lives offer five specific times each day that we can practice connecting with ourselves when you first wake up for at least three meals and at bedtime. So there are five little times that you can go, huh? I mean, and I am just now putting my hands on my heart and my gut because that's what I do to kind of connect with body and just check in with how you're doing. It could be a spiritual check-in if people have a spiritual practice. It can be like a physical kinetic check-in. It can be a body scan. Just any little way that you can start to build that bridge between your busy day to connection to self, connection to body. So to try not to make it some big inaccessible thing, but tiny little sips and bites of connection. That's how I teach it and live it. Mm, 
Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. And I think it's just so helpful to hear you break it down like that and make it much more accessible because I think many people do associate, you know, if they're going to start some self-soothing, that's got to be this great big thing, a big overhaul. But actually you're explaining it there where, you know, people can just make little micro steps, can't they? And, you know, just starting to tune in in a very small way. And then I guess you can start to build on that, you know, once those become little sort of habits and part of your daily practice. Well, I think what I've noticed in myself and in others is that there is a shift that starts to happen slowly over time. It's like truly baby steps that like shift your own like brain function. This is that neuroplasticity that's so exciting that you can create new neural pathways and skill sets. And people think your brain can't do that as you age, but actually the research says quite the opposite. Like on the other side of menopause, there is huge shift toward more calm, more capability of learning it's a very exciting time it really is Mm. i think we're so 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 afraid of menopause and aging that i just feel like we don't hear that message that there's actually power and if you're lucky enough to age Mm. it could be a beautiful time i mean the research says the happiest people are actually older people yeah, well, it's so interesting, isn't it? I think there's a program I was watching, which is not very well researched, but I think it was like a Netflix or something, but it was almost showing like a peak in happiness in twenties and then like decreasing in your thirties, forties. And then, right. yeah. And then, but like peaking again in your sixties when yeah. you're sort of out the other side. So exactly. yeah, really interesting. It is. Mm, yeah. I think it is a great privilege, isn't it? If you are fortunate to be an elder or become elderly, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. And you are focused on, on your values and you can, you're really sort of appreciating life. It can be such a wonderful time, can't it? Yes. I mean, there are, of course, circumstances and we're talking about a lot of privilege right now. And mm. I know that, that this is not available on many levels for lots of people because, We're also talking about remaining relatively able-bodied and all of our (laughs) ability to live in able bodies is time limited. (laughs) Yeah. I wish folks would like really learn from the disability community because we have a lot to learn as Mm. folks who are able-bodied and we're very ableist. At least least I'll speak for myself. I've learned a lot from Mm -hmm. clients who are in disabled bodies and who are part of the disability movement and really struck by my own ableism and how it relates to ages. So, you know, to really start to understand that it is really aging and becoming an elder is built on quite a bit of privilege. Mm. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. I think it's just, you know, a really good point that, you know, just so helpful to reflect on. And I think as well can open a door sometimes, can't it, just to greater appreciation of one's body, you know, because of actually, we get so focused on aesthetics, but actually just having an able body is just such a gift. And 
you know, in the really bigger scheme of things, it's just so much more important than how many wrinkles you have or the number on the scale. Yes, it puts so many things in perspective. (laughs) Mm. I also want to mention one other thing that I've recently become aware of, and you may have seen this or heard about this, but it's a new movie with Emma Thompson. Do you know about this? Oh, I don't actually, but I'm not great on being up to date with popular culture. So (laughs) I'm the wrong person to ask. Well, you may want to check this one out. I'm trying to find the actual name of the film because I was so struck by Emma Thompson's performance. It's on Hulu and it's called Good Luck, Leah Grand. I mean, she is 63 in, in present reality. But this, she shows her body as is mm-hmm. in the film in full view in a mirror. And she really talks about learning to do exactly what we're talking about. Value her body and her body's ability in all the ways, but especially her body's ability to experience pleasure. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very powerful. Right, well, just one more sharing. little yeah, go yes, on. one more little empowering <laughs> one more little hopeful in a film like this to see a 63 year old female body in full view mm. so good luck to you leah grant is the name of it okay well thank you for sharing that thank you yeah. so deborah where can people find you if they want to find out more about the work you do i am very active on social media I don't know if you're going to be able to have things in show notes and things like that, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. My Instagram is at D L Benfield, which is my name, R D N. And I have a website that's for my practice, but I am building a website that's for this work. So my new website is specifically for this work. It's just going to be DebraBenfield.com. So trying to keep, make it easy. Sure. Okay. No, brilliant. Well, I shall make sure that's in the show notes, your Instagram and your website. That's great. Cause I'm sure like there will be people that want to make contact and yeah, reach out to you. I hope so. I'm trying to build a group of people that really want to, be leaders and elders in their own communities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Deborah, I just really want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and for just sharing your wisdom and, you know, all your passion and all the work you're doing. You know, it's really inspiring. And, you know, I know many of the listeners are going to benefit from this so much. I just really wish you all the best as well with your new venture and sort of, you know, carving out this new road for people. Thank you so much for the invitation, Harriet, and really appreciate you having this podcast for us. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Do go and check out all of Deborah's info in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do see me out on Instagram and my new account, which is at the eating disorder therapist underscore, because sadly my old account was hacked. If you enjoy this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm